0: Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Bike Karma Bicycle Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. This show is about bringing together people with stories about bicycles. So all genres, vintages, and styles of bicycles from all over the world. In this episode we talk about my favorite cycling socks from Defeat, but there's a whole lot more than socks going on in that story. We then talk to Richard Fries about the Best Buddies cycling program from Best Buddies International, and then a surprise when a story about Bert the dog going cycling with his owner Greg turned into another story about finding a body in the woods. You have a lot of cycling podcasts to choose from, and I appreciate everybody listening in all 50 states and over 50 countries. I really appreciate you coming along for the ride with me. Let's roll out. If you walk into a local bike shop, you'll see that they have specialized everything for cycling. So if you walk over to a wall, you'll see a bunch of cycling socks, and odds are one of those brands that you'll see there is Defeat Socks. If you look a little bit more closely, you'll see that they're made in the U.S. For a while, there were two main different types. One was the aerator, which was made out of recycled water bottles, and my personal favorite, the Wooly Bully. A few years ago, I had some foot problems, and I was told that I needed to get wool socks and I just hated the feeling of wool. I tried a whole mess of socks, and then at one point I was in the cycling store and I bought a pair of Wooly Bullies because they felt good on the inside. They didn't scratch like other wool socks. And when I threw them into the washing machine, they were good to go. Eventually, a couple pairs at a time, I filled up my sock drawer with woolly bullies. And they became my everyday sock. And the foot problems I had had mostly gone away. Better yet, even in the winter, the woolly bullies seemed to be the only socks that would keep my feet warm. So I am a huge fan of defeat socks. So this first part of the interview is going to sound a little bit like a commercial. So, I mean, they're they're great socks. So that's that's where it's coming from but beyond the story of the socks which i find interesting because they're my favorite socks we get into napoleon bonaparte golden orb spiderweb genetically engineered goats of special interest to the military riding the rag tour across iowa with greg lamond and friends in a big rv making socks for presidents mountain biking and yachting with george w bush and the challenges of overcoming dyslexia shin's got a great sense of humor he tries to make his socks ethically he also does funny videos like a wes anderson style bootlegging cycling socks in the 1930s style video like prohibition stuff and he loves the bicycle and he loves to bike so yeah this story started to be about cycling socks and ended up being about so much more
1: Most big stock companies spill more than we make you know, in a year. I mean, we are, we are a very small, but the, the stocks that we do produce are very special. Our $5,000 Golden Orb Spider Sock was not just to make a real expensive stock. It was to untangle the web to find a protein-based yarn that we could be more sustainable with. Okay, I'm Shane Cooper. I'm the founder of the world's oldest sock company in cycling. Defeat, I am
2: the chief psychologist. What is a sockologist?
1: A sockologist is a self-proclaimed title that I gave myself when I started Defeat. So actually it means nothing. You know i i call myself a chief psychologist i do know a lot about socks my father emigrated to the u.s uh when i was a kid from england and he was a highly sought after mechanic for the stock industry so machinery he was like if you can imagine campagnolo or you know shimano my father was the technician that was highly sought after for that industry he became the distributor for this Sock machine called Bentley. So I grew up in a sock machine. So I understand how a sock is made. And I understand all the ins and outs of making socks. And I was also a bike racer and started making socks for our team. That's kind of how defeat started. But we did make the sock better. We did make the sock different. And the reason or the, the how behind that was the world had, had a, let's just say this. DuPont just came out with a a fiber called Coolmax, and the way a traditional sock is made is they put the soft material to the outside of the sock and the rebar on the inside of the sock. The reason that is is because you walk up in a store to feel a sock, you feel it on the outside. Well, I'd always called malarkey on that, and I said, well, with this new material that's supposed to wick sweat, why don't we put that on the inside? and then place the nylon rebar to the outside. Well, I didn't realize that that would create a bulletproof sock and also allow your body, your feet to sweat into the Coolmax material without a nylon barrier. The nylon barrier was the exoskeleton of the sock. So that's kind of our secret recipe was made and then we created the mesh weave called the aerator, which is on the top of the foot, which allows the moisture to go from the sole of the foot to the top of the foot and then to evaporate through the shoe. So that is why I'm a chief psychologist and a little bit about the background behind Defeat's first sock way back in 1992, the aerator.
3: Years ago, I had all kinds of problems with my feet. I was wearing cotton socks. I went to a podiatrist and he said, gotta start wearing wool socks. So eventually I found my way to a pair of Defeat woolly bullies and I swear they are the only socks that can keep my feet even close to warm in the winter. So I became a huge fan. And I still have, I believe I still have my first pair. And I put them in the washing machine in the dryer, just like normal clothes. And they are incredible. When yeah. did Wooly Bullies come along?
1: The Wooly Bully is probably the world's best kept secret. The Wooly Bully is a full-carried foot bottom. And we also carry that mesh into the instep as well in that sock to allow your foot to breed. But the great thing about that product is we always made it with the best wool in the world. And the best wool in the world has kind of changed on where the best wool comes from. We were getting our wool from New Zealand, which is non-Musling wool. And mulesing is when they harm the sheep to get rid of blowflies. Uh, they, they hurt the sheep. They cut a big patch of uh, skin away from the sheep. It's gross, but anyway. So we make sure that our sheep are ethically treated. But at the same time, we wanted to get our wool from America. So we found a way to bring the, the wool industry back to North America. So our yarn is the, probably the most important part of the stock that we, we focus on first. And so we used Merino wool from Colorado, North Dakota, and Montana. And that wool is harvested and sent down to South Carolina to be superwashed. And then it is dyed in Canada and then shipped to defeat instead of the old model where it was uh, New Zealand to England to China to defeat. So starting with the, the ingredient was the most important part of the wool sock, but then the construction of the woolly bully is we created a durable wool sock. And like you have found, it's comfortable in, in most any climate. And it's uh, the way wool works is it's kind of hydrophobic and hydrophilic at the same time. And that's probably the most beautiful thing about a wool product, and uh, it also is antimicrobial. So I'm glad that you found that the Woolyator and the Wooly Bully worked well for you, Uh, and those are wonderful products.
3: Yeah, I mean, I got my mother-in-law, who is also a cyclist, She brought a family tradition of giving socks at Christmas, and that was a big thing for my wife growing up. And the year that I finally convinced her to exclusively give defeat socks, everybody was happier because sometimes you'd get just random socks. And now we get a nice new set of Wooly Bullies. And uh, actually this year I even leveled it up, and I suggested that she go for some of the color options that you have which even come in extra large, which I do appreciate for my size 14 feet.
1: Oh yeah, 14, that's, that's, a, that's a big foot. With the wool, the Wooly Bully and your family enjoying them, it, that's, the, that's the cool thing about the Wooly Bully is you don't have to be a cyclist to wear the Wooly Bully and get it. It's comfortable to anybody. And the uh, Micron that we use in the, the wool count is probably the most important part of that stock. That's kind of a, a secret in the old days when you think about wool it's itchy and that's because the scales on the wool fiber cause you to itch and so the lower the micron is you know there's a fine balance of getting too low but we we found the perfect sweet spot for that micron and that's the beautiful hand if you will when you feel that sock
3: so what does that mean what does the micron do what, it, what is
1: micron?
3: Um, is that the measurement is, of how you're... Yes. Is that the measurement, the mic, like a micrometer?
1: Yeah, as wool is sold in microns when it comes down to the diameter of the fiber itself. And so there's, you know, 21 micron, 18 micron, you know, it, it's in, in that range of comfort. Wow. Uh, you know, you said you said micron, and I love that word, but even, even more than that, you know, when you start talking about denier, a denier is the size of a... Basically, a silkworm. You know, a silkworm starts, if you can imagine a piece of silk as one denier, that's the circumference of a silkworm's silk (laughs) orifice. So,
3: what is this I'm reading about? A $5,000 pair of socks?
1: Well, That's an interesting story. Um, You know, last year, we presented a golden orb spider silk sock to our team at the Tour de France. Our team that we sponsored for 25 years is Team Quick-Step. And this golden orb spider silk sock has got an incredible story. So, but I do want to say that the day that we presented that at the Tour de France, it was the eve of the Tour de France, and the next day, our team, Quickstep, won the stage and wore the yellow jersey, and they had the trophy of the five thousand dollar Golden Orb Spider Silk sock in their van, in their truck. But the back story on that is, it's not just smoke and mirrors. This is this is real. So about fifteen years ago, there was a North Carolina company that was awarded a grant to try and domesticate and harvest spider silk. And the reason that everybody wants spider silk is because it's 15 times stronger than steel and it's super light and it's environmentally friendly. And if we can create a yarn that is like spider silk, then we're going to have the most incredible yarn in in, in the world. Unfortunately, spiders are carnivorous. And so they're cannibals. They ate each other until (laughs) this guy, he lost all his spider farm to them eating themselves. So, Next story, and, and you can look this up on PBS, uh, there's, a, there's a guy that took the genome of a spider and injected it into a goat. The U.S. military is hot on the trail on this material for, for many reasons. So anyway, they took this spider-injected goat, and the milk that the goat produced, produced for every gallon, it produced about, I don't know, two ounces of silk. And so they would take that liquid silk and put it into some type of base acidic mixture and it would turn into a strand of silk. So fast forward to about three years ago, there's a company in California that has learned to not genetically modify, but they've learned to synthesize a, a new spider silk. And so when I saw that happen, I tried to get on the list to do some testing for them, but you know they were uh, not interested in, in, in bringing anybody new on. And uh, so what we did is we went back to the original story, which was the golden orb spider sock. uh, And that came from the golden orb spider robe that's on display in the Smithsonian. And so we we saw this in the Smithsonian that these two uh, explorers went down to Madagascar and, and, and they harvested enough spider silk to make a robe. And it's, I'm telling you, it's gold. It's brilliantly yellow gold and they they knitted it into a garment that's on display at the Smithsonian and you can see all these things if you look them up on the interwebs (laughs) pun intended um (laughs) so what we did uh is we decided to (laughs) go after this yarn and we found a, a supplier in paris and they had for sale golden orb spider silk and we brought the spider silk in and we started playing with it, trying to, to make a sock and, and we were successful after about you know three or four tries. And that is all documented on the Defeat website. You can look that up on the interwebs again and you'll find the story and you'll see the manufacturing of this sock. Now what we didn't know is when we started to add up the price of the yarn. So if you can imagine a, a golden orb spider, they're about as big as your hand and These farmers in Madagascar are taking the spider and they put it in a little device that holds it down and they start to harvest the silk and then they let the spider go and the spider goes and eats more and a week later they collect it back and they do some more and they're getting about, I forgot what it was, 30 meters or so of of, uh, yarn per spider. But the dollar value is $64,000 a pound. And and that is just off the chart. She's just a regular, you know, a a wool, for example, would be $21 a pound. This is $64,000 a pound. So the sock that we created, and we put it on a glass foot form, and we gave it to Team Quickstep, you could see that the spider ate something for breakfast, you know, (laughs) the day before, because the gold changed a little bit as the sock was being made. You could see different hues of gold in the sock.
3: I also read that Napoleon Bonaparte and Josephine had a sheet that was made out of the same material. Yeah, actually,
1: that's right. In fact, those are two different stories. She had a pair of gloves that Napoleon had made for her. And they also had some bed linens that were at the World's Fair in 1900 in France. And those were the ones that were never found again. The sheets were never found again. They're not sure what happened to them. I wonder if those guys that uh, were in Madagascar had something to do with that and took the sheets and made that robe. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's – so you asked about this stock, and why did we do it? Well, we did it because we're on the prowl for a protein-based yarn that can do away with the environmental concerns when you throw the product away. And as we know, the landfills are filling up. Now, Defeat, we make all of our wool sustainable from sustainable farms – all of our socks are made out of recycled water bottles, okay? There's 100 million water bottles being thrown away every day in North America, and we're trying to do our part to turn one water bottle into a pair of socks. And that's all done here in North Carolina with a great company called Unify, which owns a brand called Reprieve. But once we make that into a sock and you throw it away in a landfill in 20 years from now, it's going to take a long time for it to biodegrade. But there are new technologies coming out. And how cool would it be if you threw that sock away and it got in the landfill environment with the right you know, mixture of oxygen and and sunlight and it composted. So that is what our mission was when we started studying the spider silk because it's a protein. So it's not a blind search for the world's most expensive sock by any means. It actually had a mission and a soapbox that we can stand upon And I hope that Defeat becomes the the test center for this unnamed California company that has got spider yarn.
3: You are on the same bandwagon that I'm on with sustainability. I was just having daydreams the other day about revising our whole tax structure based on what companies make products that are sustainable, creating less wasteful products, products that can be upgraded, products that could be repaired, products that have a intended lifespan of more than five years or ten years.
1: You know, we, we have our bad product runs, too, that, that maybe the yarn had a problem or whatever, and we, we, we guarantee all of our products against manufacturer defects for life. I mean, there's no question if you send us a pair of socks that wasn't normal wear and tear and it's a manufacturing defect, we're going to replace it. But better than that, what we believe at Defeat is about value, and value to me personally is Long lasting goodness, paying a fair price for something and have it go out of style before it wears out, you know, and then come back into style and you can wear it again. And so that's what we're about at Defeat. We're constantly looking for ways to be lesser on the environment. So the most fun, crazy adventure I've ever had on a bike would have been RAGBRAI. We did RAGBRAI as a team defeat probably back in the early 2000s. And I want to say it was probably 2004. And I got Greg LeMond and several of his old teammates together, and we did RAGBRAI from river to river. It started in uh, Des Moines and ended in uh, just beyond Davenport. And so we rented a motorhome, and so we were driving this motorhome with eight guys in it, and we've got our bikes being pulled behind us, and we're, we're having a great time. And if you've ever done rag bra, you, you ride 60, 70, 80 miles a day, and you stop and you have corn and pork on a stick. I mean, that's your dinner in every single town across the way. And it's an incredible adventure. It's hot. So anyway, we, uh, we had one guy that knew how to run a motorhome, and I knew nothing about motorhomes, but we, we I, I learned that there's, there's two different kinds of water in a motorhome. There's a certain way you get rid of the dirtiest water in a motorhome. So we pulled up to this campsite with the motorhome, and my job was to connect the water hose, we'll call it, the sewer pipe, to the sewer, and then my partner, Paul Willerton's job, was to connect it to our motorhome, And then he was to flip the switch. And the the method is you flip the dirtiest water first, if you can imagine, and then you stop it, and then you change tank, and you flush the cleaner water. So I've got my end down, and my business partner has his end down, and he pulls the lever, and the C cup, uh, the coupling came off. And so the dirty water went all over his feet, and it was just absolutely. It looked like, uh, nuclear waste. It was just absolutely horrific. And at the time, he was wearing keen sandals, keen sandals uh, which have you no know, socks, of course. And, and so Paul was standing there in this nuclear waste, and it was, I mean, I was mortified. I ran. And, and, you know, he just, said, he just gathered himself up. He said, I gotta finish this job. He said, go get me two trash bags. So I've got pictures of him with two trash bags on his hand, and he had to pick that thing up, that pipe, and put it on the clean water and flush the clean water through. And it, it, that, that was terrible. I mean, that, that's probably not a good story. <laughs> it was horrific. But, uh yeah, we, we had to take him to a car wash and wash him off. It was terrible. We got the high-powered hose on him. Yeah, the bicycle has done incredible things for for me personally and my wife, my family. We were guests at the White House because of the bicycle. We got to ride with uh, one of the former presidents, who was an incredible bike rider, by the way. He didn't get my vote one year. He got it the other year. But anyway. Which president was it? That was uh, G.W. Bush. We we made socks for him when he was in office, and I was not a fan. I got to tell you, I was not a fan. Because I was traveling the world and people were just, you know, talking so negatively about him in his second term. And then one day, about three years left in his term, uh, the White House called and wanted to make socks because he, he blew his knee out running. So he started writing. And, you know, so anyway, I got in an argument with these people from the White House and I didn't realize it was the Secret Service. But I was trying to get them to do a story and I wasn't going to charge them. And they said, no, we have to pay. So they ordered 20 pair of socks. And, you know, I said, that's not even a full order. So I'm going to have to charge you full retail. So we did. And it was the Peloton 1 sock. So he would go on bike rides and give these socks to dignitaries as he rode and people that rode with him. And so every couple of months would get a phone call from the White House, and they'd want more socks. Well, for whatever reason, we get a um, an ornament sent from a, a lawyer in D.C. every year around Christmas time. And my daughter brought... A card down, you know, around Christmas time, and she said, uh, "Dad, here's your ornament." And I, it, I said, "There's no ornament; it's a card." And it turned out it was an invitation from the president to come to the White House. And remember, that was uh, 2000. And, was that 2007? It was his last year. And so my wife and I go to the White House, and so we get to meet the president. And the guy was really funny. So we come back, and he had made an order for this holiday party. At the White House, it was decorating the White House for Christmas, and he had given out a large number of woolly bullies by chance. And so we sent a bill up, and when Obama went in, Obama wasn't going to pay for his socks, so we, the bill came back. It came back returned to sender. And so I thought, oh, I guess that was our trip to the White House. You know, we're, we're not going to get that money back. And about, I don't know, around April, we got a call from Dallas, Texas, and they wanted to do some socks for another uh, meeting. And I said, well, there's a problem. You didn't pay for your last batch. (laughs) So we wouldn't let them have their socks, another custom order, because they hadn't paid for the first one. Finally, they cleared it all up, and it was because, you know, the bill got sent back from Obama's team. They weren't going to pay for Georgia's socks. So he said, well, well, he didn't. It was Jared Weinstein, his his right-hand man, he, he called us and said, uh, that he wanted my wife and I to come up and deliver these socks to George in person up in Kennebunkport, which we did. And we got to ride with his, with he and 10 other people for two days up there on mountain bikes. And I'm like, I, I got to tell you, I, after riding with him and meeting him, he's an incredible guy. He's, he's brilliantly funny. He's courteous. He's friendly. He's uh, witty. And we had, and he's a hell of a mountain biker. And, uh, we had a blast and we even got to go to the, uh, Walker Estate and got in a boat with his dad. His dad drove us around the ocean, just, just Hope and I and one other person. And we get back up and George Jr. is introducing us to his mom who's by the pool and he said, Mom, I, I want you to meet Hope and Shane. Well, guess what, Mom? They they make uh, socks out of recycled water bottles. <laughs> and Laura said, his mom, Barbara, was sitting in a chair and, and Laura said, uh, well, what do y'all do? Melt down the the bottles and just put your feet in a big old bucket of it it was it was classic man but he said George George jr he said Shane hope that's the world's best kept secret I can't believe nobody knows that you make socks out of water bottles so I came back and I had to tell uh, unify and reprieve this story we had to get this story out you know that's a big story recycled water bottles made uh, out of socks and nobody knew it so
3: George gave me some free advice oh my god
2: (laughs) sorry I I talk a lot
3: (laughs) I mean I was excited because I wear your socks and the stories you got (laughs) amazing too (laughs) well well,
1: thanks Uh, you know again it's it's, I, I am amazed still I mean why would I'm an American citizen I became an American citizen I think in 1976 but how the hell did I get to the White House? I mean that's that's like you go and becoming English now and and you get to go to the the palace, you know, Buckingham Palace. It's because of well, the bicycle. The bicycle that's where the bicycle took me. If I would have just been a sock maker, I would have never got that trip. You know, uh George George was hilarious, man. I'm telling you. Wife and I started the company and we still ride bikes and we still ride bikes four times a week and we are constantly testing the product we have so many cyclists at defeat that it's you know it's uncanny but we're all testing the product these guys have got so much history in cycling and knowledge and we are at the end of the day we are a technical company and we are really serious about what we make and that's why it does last so long, and that's why it does work so good. I built my own steel frame and uh, rode it for 11 years. Uh, I broke my back in a bike accident, and I knew a guy, Reynolds Tubing, Tim Halloran, that owned Reynolds Tubing in the USA. I'd always dreamed of making my own bike, and yeah. so he sent me a tube set, and I built it up, and I sent it out to... Uh, Landshark, John Slaughter, and my first bike I ever built, he gave me an 85 as a grade, and uh, nice. I, rode that, I rode it for like nine nine or ten years, and I broke it because I put a pannier on it and put a computer on the pannier and got in a bike race with somebody on gravel. The pannier broke loose, and when it did, it dug it. I so said, this is how I broke my bike, you know, is putting a pannier on. But the, the tubing that I used was 731 OS, which is not really available anymore. What is uh, because I, it just it, bro- yeah. it broke the the non-drive side chainstay. But the reason I told you that story is because your students need to know that I failed geometry, but I <laughs> made my own bike frame and that to me <laughs> I was so proud of that.
3: If people want to find out more about you or Defeat Sox or any of your other things going on, where would they go?
1: Well, in this day and age, we would love to have you follow us on Facebook, like our page on Facebook, follow our Instagram feed, and then you can find that at Defeat International or Defeat. You can type either one of those in, D-E-F-E-E-T. Go to the website, of course, and that's where you'll find us. And if you want to follow me personally as I do some creative things offside, we've got the Barnstormer, which is our gravel adventure club. And we have my personal feed is Coop Defeat, C-O-O-P-D-E-F-E-E-T. And if you put in Coop Defeat in any of those social media things, you'll find my personal collection.
3: Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your stories
1: my pleasure and I will get with uh, mr. Greg and see if I can get anything down to you Tom and good luck with uh, bike karma and looking forward to hearing this thank you so much
0: So at the end of the interviews, I usually ask people if there's anything they forgot or they wanted to mention that they hadn't yet mentioned, and this is what Shane said.
3: Anything you want to add, anything you want to say? You know, I think uh, the, the the, the only thing that I'd like to add
1: is I'm dyslexic and I have ADD. I would be one of those labels, even though they didn't have those labels when I was growing up, but the reason Defeat has been successful for 27 years is the team that we have established and the new people coming in. You know, I've mentioned some of the names, Caroline Brandon, Scott Duncan, my wife, Hope Cooper, Paul Willerton. There's a 45 people, 50 people behind the brand that are really making it happen. And I personally have turned into more of, Ronald McDonald but what I'm able to do is I'm able to trust people because of my weaknesses of being dyslexic they say you gain a strength from being dyslexic because you learn to trust people so trusting people to be smarter than me has been the reason why we're so successful I just wanted to get that in because I think it's important.
0: For those of you who are long-term fans of the show, you know that I'm a science teacher in my daytime life, and that for years, I've been working with students with all kinds of exceptionalities, including dyslexia. So, to find a, a role model like Shane, who's been very successful in industry, is great, especially his openness to share some of his struggles and how he has worked through them. So, I asked him what would be his advice if he was able to share advice with students who were battling dyslexia.
1: Well, I was 26 when I read my first book all the way through, and it was Edgar Allan Poe's Complete Works, and I believe it was from 1940. The the print was super tiny, but I, I really worked hard to get there, and since then I've probably read maybe 35, 40 books. And that's how severe it can be. But the cool thing is I just read Huck Finn. I mean, when's the last time you read Huck Finn? I mean, there's so many things that I'm looking forward to as I get older, I'm gonna read Moby Dick. You know, there's so many books that I could say, I'm gonna read this. I know nothing about Moby Dick. I can't wait to read Moby Dick. But, uh, you know, I'm getting better. And it's one of those things with dyslexia that you have to just take your time with. I made it through high school into community college and took six years to get out of community college. But back then we didn't have a diagnosis for it, 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 it in small towns. So my son in the fourth grade started to struggle. So we took him to be tested and, uh, the, the, the instructor said, okay, which one of you has this? Cause it's probably one of you that have it too. And, uh, so all eyes suddenly pointed at me. My wife has got a master's degree. She did her studying in you know six years, and she's incredibly brilliant and can read like uh, you know a champion. And there I was uh, saying, "Oh my God, maybe that that's what my problem has been." And it was uh, it was kind of uh, inspiring because then I saw how they they treated my son, and I started to do some of the same things myself, and it, life got a lot easier for me for sure.
3: Do you mind me sharing that component of it on the show, or would you like absolutely to keep that part not? Of
1: it? I, I have no I have okay. no problem with it. I think it's wonderful. I think uh, when my son was diagnosed, they had him read. I think it was Captain Underpants, and Captain Underpants was written by a dyslexic. And then they go on to talk about Jack Welch. You know, he was the CEO of GE, if I'm not mistaken. There's so many dyslexics that started their own companies. Some people call it a superpower. And so I'm kind of proud that, you know, I was able to do what I've accomplished. But again, without the people and the support network behind it, it would have never
3: happened. (laughs) So if you could talk just really briefly to a young man or a young woman who's, as a teenager, trying to come to terms with their dyslexia, what advice would you give them?
1: Hmm. I would say... That if you if you can talk to your mother and father and if they can understand that you have this, that to find a deep inner patience with yourself because you're not dumb. And I think that is the first thing that people that feel that they're getting left behind when they can't read out loud and they can't go as fast as the rest of the class. You know, we I felt dumb. And so to realize you're not dumb, you're you've got a special gift. And so I would tell them to get the support of their mother and father and to make sure that they take and have patience with themselves and be persistent and, and find out what you want to go after and, and, and go after it. Great advice. But it is something that we, sh- we should, as a society, we should say, hey, this group of kids are going to learn different. They're going to be different. And you might be working for them one day. So Let's help them. Nurture that special talent because I think it can be Is that too deep.
3: No, no, that's fine because it's one thing coming from somebody who is Understanding and trying to be compassionate and trying to tell them it's going to be okay And they need to find their own way, but it's another thing coming from somebody who's had the same struggle So that that's important to hear.
1: Well, I appreciate the time today and thank you for inviting me to come and talk and I will get on the Greg LeMond thing Let's get you some products sent out for Ragbri and get you set up to be the Tommy Appleseed of the stock world for us. That'd be wonderful.
3: No, that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate I'm it. I'm also there going to go. send you
1: the links to our movie because I think you'll like them, especially since Wes Anderson is inspired there. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. Okay.
3: Well, thank you very much. All right. Back to me. Thank you
1: very much, and I'll
2: talk to you later. Bye.
0: For those of you who normally listen to the show all the way through, you know that at the end of the show we do an ABC quick check to keep our listeners safe. It's a reminder about doing a safety check every time before you ride your bike. Well, today we're saying goodbye to Taryn the intern. Yeah, my son Taren. Uh, Taryn's going on to bigger and better things. Uh, high school and he has graciously cast aside and opened up the floor for you to take on the ABC Quick Check. It's nothing about him being a teenager and me being his dad. It's, it's about wanting more people to be able to share the safety message. So thank you, Taryn. Best of luck going on to your future pursuits. All the dads out there, teenage sons will understand. And so here's the opportunity that's presented to you. You could be our ABC Quick Check at the end of an episode. Let's say you wanted to be on the show, but you were a little nervous about sharing your story. Well, here's a pre-made story ready for you to go. It's the story of checking your bike before you go out. So if you would like to do this, all you have to do is call in to 860 740 Two eight one three. That's 860-740-2813. When you get there, say your full name, where you're from, and then I have permission to use your voice on the show. Then introduce yourself again and do the ABC quick check. Remember it's A for air, check the air in your tires. B for brakes, make sure your brakes are working. Check your chain line, make sure everything looks good there. Check your quick releases. That's the quick part. And then quickly drop your bike to see if it sounds cool, if there's not any looser rattling parts. And remember, before you go barreling down a hill, take a little loop before and make sure everything's cool. So that's basically the ABC Quick Check. You can put your own style onto it as long as you have all those elements. And if you have a webpage or a website you want to send people to after that, feel free to mention it. So that is the ABC Quick Check opportunity opened up. It's the legacy of Taryn. So Taryn, the intern, best of luck in the future. And that number once again is 860-740-2813 if you would like to be the voice of our ABC Quick Check for an episode. Also like to do the mid-roll thank you for the social media assist. So anybody following or leaving a positive review, here's what we'd like to thank you. So we have a thank you to Mysterisco for following on Podbean. Ibernet612, thank you for following. CWFDYT, SWEETFLUT, thank you for following. WEPVBW and Tristan Niemann. Woo. Tristan Newey. Thank you for following. If I missed you, still appreciate it. And just DM me and I'll mention your name on the show. The Best
2: Buddies program is a charity that was founded by Anthony Shriver in his dorm room back at Georgetown. He is the uh, nephew of JFK, the son of Eunice Shriver, and grew up with uh, Special Olympics, was formed in his backyard, and he created a jobs and social inclusion program for people living with intellectual disabilities. This is runs the gauntlet of everything from autism to Down syndrome to any number of intellectual disabilities. 20 years ago, this is our 20th anniversary, we formed the Best Buddies Challenge Hyannisport, which runs from Boston, right near the JFK Museum, and it would run to the Kennedy compound you know, the famous football games, the touch football games on Cape Cod. And it's been a labor of love, but it's also the number one fundraising outlet for this. As a result of that, we've paired up with some great New England institutions, CCD Racing, and and also Fred Thomas, and what a great thing he's doing. Hey, I'm Richard Fries, and I'm probably the oldest professional cycles you'll get to know, but I'm not really a pro bike racer. I'm more like a golf pro. And I have one of the coolest jobs in the world and I'm lucky and I've worked really hard at it. And uh, I'm just an evangelist for bikes. Right now I live in Lexington, Mass. Right on the busiest bike path in America, the Minuteman Bikeway. And grew up in Pennsylvania, but I went to college in Florida. I raced bikes all over, slept on couches all over North America, and uh, then went and got my teeth kicked in in Europe. Best Buddies is in thousands of high schools all around the world, middle schools, even colleges, and Best Buddies partners high-functioning young adults with people with intellectual disabilities. In short, we make sure that they've got somebody to make sure they go to the games, go to the prom, eat lunch, do all the things that people do in those young environments, and then we put them into job environments as well after that. The so Best Buddies is a socialization and inclusion program, and to keep all this administrative cost covered, we do some great bike rides and raise some pretty good funds. Well, we do have a 20 mile ride and we do have a whole fleet of tandems and we do some tandem rides in the park afterwards where we'll partner members of the New England Patriots like Julian Edelman with kids that have never learned how to ride a bike all the way up to our 100-mile ride, which is a pretty standard charity ride. But we've had some people with intellectual disabilities do the 100-mile ride. So it's much more about just a normal charity ride that raises funds down to the shorter rides where we do get a lot of these kids out on bikes. And we do a lot because transportation is a really important component to inclusion in modern society.
3: So there's really two parts to it. One is raising money, and the second mm-hmm. is it's actually a race where you include everybody.
2: Yeah, we it's we, lowercase r on the race, but anytime you put 50 yeah, yeah. people out on the road, they, they get, little oh, competitive. Yeah, we actually have a criterium course on site where we're teaching kids about bike riding. We put them with tandems. Some of the kids are on their own. It's really fascinating. We're doing more and more and more around independent living and also independent transportation. But for the most part, it's one big charity ride. And as you can guess, when the uh, folks of the Kennedy Schreiber family throw a party, it's, it's one heck of a party.
3: How did you start your involvement with it?
2: Considerable time ago, I was running a regional magazine, a cycling magazine, and uh, Best Buddies was one of my biggest advertisers. And then ultimately, they just they just kept talking to us, and they were like, "Well, what are you doing for a living?" And so I started as a consultant. Next thing I know, I was full time, and so I've really gone into teaching novices and beginners about cycling. I've also developed teams with such you know firms as Silicon Valley Bank, John Hancock, Natixis, you know, all the way down to like local small businesses and we have just these corporate teams that come together and the connectivity is with these people. Ten percent of every family in America has, has a member living with an intellectual disability. So we just the way other charity rides touch into those populations, we touch into our population and the turnout's incredible. And I help get everybody rolling. And I just love teaching novices and we we see great improvement with those folks. We pride ourselves on our two big rides, which is New England and the Pacific Coast Highway in California. Those are five-star rides. Then we do a six-star ride in Miami. There's only 50 people allowed to get in. It's about to sell out, but you get to ride with Chris Froome through the streets of Miami with a police enclosure and some amazing pros on the ride. Christian Vanderbilt, Georgian Cappy, others join us. But we've also launched some camps and adventures. We do camps in Malibu. We are also launching a camp with Team Ineos and Chris Froome for a week in Girona, Spain in October. These are just amazing cycling experiences. Uh, and again, we are global. We're in 53 countries in all 50 states. So uh, we're looking to expand to do even more in the world of cycling.
3: If people would like to find out more, where should they go?
2: bestbuddieschallenge.org is our website and uh, it's got everything in there from the camps to the adventures to our three big rides. Uh, phenomenal rides. People that have done our rides are blown away by how fantastic the amenities are and the support is. We've got a best Buddies Challenge has um, Facebook page and we are on Twitter and Instagram.
3: Okay well thank you very much. That was great. All right.
0: So Fred Thomas of AD Bikes and the Frame and Wheel has been helping to support the show. Fred's just a nice guy who likes to be involved in the cycling community. He even has a public access show up in Maine. Ask Richard how Fred got involved with Best Buddy Cycling. So,
2: you know, I get to meet this guy, Fred Thomas, and first thing that stands out is he shows up with this Austro daimler bike and a kit with featuring AD, which is like a brand that Nobody knows about, except for unless you're around in the late 70s, early 80s, because I had, I had got some schooling by a guy named Andy Weaver, who also lives in Lexington, rode for Oster back in, quote-unquote, the day, and uh, was just a time trial menace. And then here comes the brand, Back to Life. I always thought it was a cool sounding brand and it was a beautiful bike back in the day and then the second time I see Fred he is like just riding away from me in the tour of the hill towns he just threw down an attack that I was just nope I can't go with that so the guy's an amazing bike rider amazing athlete but then his passion for bikes is really just comes through He's just an amazing passion for all things bikes but especially these amazing brands bike racers are are long on parts and supplies and equipment and very short on cash. So how do we turn a fundraising? How do we create funds when we take all these amazing pieces of equipment and clothing and things that are in attics and closets and sheds? And we started to use them through um, Fred Thomas. And Fred's just jumped on board. He's gotten it. And it's sort of a New England-based Program Just like we have a New England-based club, it's just going to be a way for both our riders to buy stuff and Team CCB and their supporters to convert equipment and frames and parts and clothing into cash for a great cause, best buddies.
0: So Fred and his company, The Framing Wheel, has been helping to support the last couple episodes of the Bike Karma podcast. He's not a billionaire, he's a guy up in Maine, running a couple of businesses doing a TV show on bicycles and helping out where he can. If you're a friend of this show, please go and follow him on Instagram and Facebook and check out his businesses, 80 Bikes and the Frame and Wheel, the place to go if you need to sell your bike parts on eBay without the hassle. Let's see if we can give him a bike
4: karma podcast bump. Hey, thank you, Tom. And hi there, everyone. It's Fred Thomas here at Frame and Wheel, and yes, we provide eBay selling services for cyclists, bike shops, bike companies, bike teams, and cycling-related nonprofit organizations. And yes, we are very excited to be helping Team Wyatt meet their fundraising goals for the Best Buddies Challenge Hyannisport ride through the Frame and Wheel Bike Gear Donation Program. If you run a charity ride or are thinking of joining one, this program is a great way to turn old cycling gear into cash for your organization's mission or for your personal fundraising goal. So let Framing Wheel do the work of selling your gear so that you can spend your valuable time riding your bike rather than dealing with the hassle and the friction of selling your stuff yourself. That's what we do. Time, space, cash. Pick three. Thanks Tom.
0: Springtime means more cycling outside, but it also means it's the time of the year for swap meets. If you've never been to a swap meet, treat yourself. Sure, at the bottom of it, it's like a flea market for bike parts and bikes and bicycle accessories, but on the top part, it's like a little fair it's like an expo for bicycles. You could find a bicycle from your childhood. You could find a bicycle that is your dream bike. You could see a bike very similar to one of your cycling heroes road. You can also walk through the history of bicycle advances and bicycle technology, looking at all the different types of brakes and materials and everything. And it's all there and most of it is reasonably priced. If you like the show American Pickers and you liked my interview with Mike Wolf and you like bicycles this is a chance to go live the dream you want to go try and do a bundle do a bundle at a swap meet here in the Northeast, we have New Paltz, uh, Copake, Ivor Johnson up in Mass, Dudley, which is now in Putnam, and we also have the Weathersfield Bicycle Festival. If you look for it on Facebook, you can easily find it under Weathersfield Bicycle Festival. It's our sixth year. It's the bicycle swap meet festival and show that I put together right here in Weathersfield, Connecticut, five minutes south of Hartford right in the center of the state. We have people from all the surrounding states come and even from Maine and further. We've had bikes from 1890 to the present right there, all to see in one location. It's only once a year and for us it's on June 9th this year from 8 a.m. in the morning until around noontime. If you wanted to come and bring stuff to sell, a seller spot is only $25. It's located at an elementary school so we have indoor and outdoor space so it's rain or shine. We're expecting a few hundred people this year, including over dozen different sellers there'll be activities and a scavenger hunt for the kids and it's just a great day out celebrating the bicycle so check it out at the weathersfield bicycle festival on facebook you'll find it under events if you're one of the many listeners who's not near us then there's sure to be one near you and if there isn't you can do what i did and start one all you need really is a big parking lot and permission it also helps have an organization like a nonprofit to be working with so treat yourself and go check out a bicycle show or swap meet this year. And if you get a good story from one, email me at bikekarmaguy@gmail.com at gmail.com and maybe we'll put it on the show. So the Bike Karma podcast strives to be a place where people from all over the world can get together and connect and relate to each other by sharing bicycle related stories. Sometimes people think their story is too small or maybe they see one of the other stories that's already gone up and they're like, whoa, somebody found a body in the woods while mountain biking. That's intimidating. I I don't know if my story is as exciting as that. It's cool you can run it by me. Heck, have a good story about seeing a rainbow on a ride, drove by a cat that really freaked you out, found a $50 bill. Any story that's interesting to you is probably gonna be interesting to somebody else too. So at the very least, email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. So earlier this year, I was on a ride in Arizona going around the Loop Trail I meet up with this guy, Greg, who's riding a tandem with a dog in a backpack It was pretty cute. And I asked him if he'd share a story about it on the show and he says, sure. But before we get to talking about the dog, he tells me about his very first mountain bike ride. He went on a group ride and they found a body. I mean what are the odds i stop to ask a guy about his cute dog that he's riding with and find another story about a body wow so be careful out there folks and here's his story both of them oh yeah apologies in advance for the wind i wasn't ready for the wind in arizona so i tried to clean it up the best i can but there's only three minutes
4: My name's Greg, I'm from Tucson since 1982. Uh, well I moved to Tucson in 82 and I started hearing about mountain bikes pretty quickly. One of the bike shops said there was a group ride leading from Rosemont and Broadway and they could even rent you a bike. And um, it was a Berry and he had a bike shop on 4th Avenue. So I showed up one day took ride with them. We got in cars and trucks and took bikes for some god-awful reason all the way up to all the way way northwest oh gosh I can't think of it but it'll come to me it's a street that everybody goes down on El Tour it's a downhill that goes to I-10 where everybody crashes Um, but anyway so there was desert up there it was like 83 and uh, not that many housing developments and we had ridden it was a you know not really that great of a place for mountain biking It was just kind of desert and just random like 4 by 4 tracks and mud and stuff, but we'd only ridden about 20 minutes, and we see ahead of us a dead and bloated body. Oh, no. That was the first mountain bike ride that I'd ever been on, and I've ridden thousands of hours since and never seen another body, thank goodness. That was my first ride.
0: Wow. That was your first mountain bike ride? Yeah, first ever. How long did you wait till your second mountain bike ride after that? Oh, probably a week. It
4: wasn't long. I was hooked.
0: (laughs) Wow. It's horrible, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was. It
4: looked like some kind of drug thing. It was. It was pretty disgusting. We didn't get very close, and we saw some other people who were running the opposite direction. Said they'd already were going to get the police. It was before cell phones. It took your life into your hands back then. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> that was the other story I had. That was
0: pre-cell phone too. Yeah. Um, so let's go on a positive bent a little bit. You got a dog in your backpack.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, he just hates being left home and uh, my wife has her little dog and she always takes her everywhere and we finally decided bert could come too he doesn't like to get up and walk around he's a scared chihuahua but he sure loves the backpack so this is bert this is bert yeah wow bert is cute
0: yeah so how what's it like biking with a dog because one of my stories was biking with a cat so now well could honestly
4: I kind of forget he's there until somebody says look how cute he is you know until we <laughs> pass somebody he doesn't weigh much and I just kind of forget he's there you know you couldn't do a real mountain bike ride but you know on our tandem rides we, we ride in gravel but don't get, don't get too wild because my wife will scream and yell and jump off Well, we can,
0: well you gave me two little short stories one in the positive one of the scary. But yeah.
4: Thanks. All right. Well, thank you. I'll check you out. Thanks. All right.
0: Well, you've gotten to the end of another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank keller glass and the band mobjack for our opening and closing theme music all the rest of our music is royalty free and i appreciate those musicians as well I want to thank our guests shane richard fred greg and bert the dog thank you very much for sharing your stories on the show fingers crossed that shane is going to be able to get me one step closer to greg lamond stickers for the show are available just for the asking until i run out of postage or stickers And I'll send you more than one if you promise to spread them around responsibly. Just DM me on social media or send your address to bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show at all, please go and visit our social media. Leave positive reviews on Apple Media and other places where you listen. You can also greatly help the show by visiting our guest social media sites as well. So like when we have defeat socks on, go visit them and give them a follow while you're checking your Instagram, go over to the frame and wheel or ad bikes and check it out and give Fred a follow. While it only takes a couple of seconds for you, it will wildly help the show. So thank you very much in advance. If you have a comment, feedback, or maybe even a story for the show, or you have a company that might like to be a show supporter, please email me at bikekarmaguy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Well, Here's the time where we normally do the ABC Quick Check, and as I told you, Taryn the Intern has gone on. So remember that number, 860-740-2813, to be our ABC Quick Check reader of the episode. The Bike Karma podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, including copyright, trademarks, and everything else, are reserved and asserted. Thank you to all the people listening and to all the people waiting in the queue for their stories to get put out. I really appreciate your patience. It takes a lot of love to put out each episode, so I'm trying for one a month. That's the goal. But we seriously have some amazing stories coming up this summer. I will also be doing RAGBRAI and I might have some socks to give out for sharing stories. I've already made up the signs to go on my bike and on my tent, so you'll be able to find me. Look for the Bike Karma Bicycle podcast signs. Ragbri is the trip across Iowa and I hope to see a bunch of people there. Until then, whether you're going to Ragbri or not, keep it wheel.